It's not that, do you go to church question. Rather, do you have any confidence that you have a relationship, that you know God personally through Jesus Christ? So let me remind you of a couple of things I've said before. The strength of any relationship can be directly correlated to the what? Communication. I could say I love my wife, and I can stand here and say she's the most beautiful person on the face of the earth, and I believe that. But if I didn't communicate my, with my wife, how strong would that relationship be? How strong would it be? I mean, if we got up in the morning, I got dressed, did my own thing, and I didn't say, hey, good morning, honey, how are you doing today? Did you sleep well? La, la, la. I just said, you know, I got my own worries. I'm going to do my own thing, get dressed, walk out the door. I come back after being at the office all day. I come back and just kind of, she's doing her thing. Just If I don't communicate with my spouse, how strong is that relationship? Not very strong. In fact, it's heading towards trouble, right? But is it any different with God? You see, here's the principle. If I communicate a lot, the chances are I have a strong relationship. If I don't communicate a lot, the chances are I don't have a strong relationship. Let's put that into a relationship with God. You see, I've said this, and I'm going to wear it out here in this church. Communication is two-way, right? We understand that? Both giving and receiving of information. And when a wife goes, and the guy just goes, communication has not taken place. Right? We understand that. We get that. Communication is both giving and receiving of information. Well, how does that work with God? God speaks to us. This is how he communicates to us. And this is how we communicate with God. He talks to us. We talk to him. He talks to us. We talk to him. Giving and receiving of information. So, if communication is the key factor in good, any good relationship, how good is our relationship with God if we say that we have one? How good is that? If we're communicating much with God, chances are we've got a strong relationship. Because here's the thing, if you don't have a relationship with Him, why, why do you care about talking to Him? Right? kind of presupposes that. If we've got a strong relationship, we're going to talk a lot. If we don't, you know, we're, we're not going to worry about it. So, a lot of communication likely leads to a strong relationship. Very little communication likely produces a weak or non-existent relationship. So for a few moments this morning, would you take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 4? And once again, I think our Bible should be on autopilot. We've been here for a little while. James chapter 4. Right after the book of Hebrews, right before 1 Peter, James chapter 4. I want to read verses 4 and 5. Maybe for a moment, though, the, the wording of this verse might startle you. It's like, whoa, that's strong language. And yes, it is. It's very strong wording. James 4, verse 4 says, Adulteresses! I mean, just think about that for a moment. Can you imagine being the reader and the recipient of this message? And, he's, and, and the preacher saying, adulteresses! Ooh. The hair on the back of your head kind of stands up and you kind of bristle just for a moment. So that's not me. But just read it. Adulteresses! Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? 
So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes the James talking about. He says, adulteresses. What in the world is he talking about? He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So when, whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy? What is he talking about? We're, we're, we start out talking about a marriage and a relationship and communication and all these things that are healthy. And then he brings us to a text in James 4. He says, you're adulteresses. You see, adultery takes place when our commitment to the one that we are supposed to be committed to ceases. And what James is ultimately talking about here is spiritual adultery or spiritual infidelity, if you will. You see, there are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who say, well, hey, I go to church and I've been there since I was a little kid. I go to church, I mean, I may even give the offering, I may even get involved and I help out in the nurseries or, or I help out with the children's church and I, I'm, I'm at church and, and, and we see that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and yet the communication is not there. And James is calling them out because obviously what he is seeing is not matching up to what they're saying. Remember this old phrase? Actions speak louder than words. You see, two and two is not adding up here. And what James is saying here, and he just by the very wording that he uses, it presupposes this fact that there is a problem within the church here. There is spiritual adultery or spiritual infidelity taking place. So if you notice what James is saying, you see that he is really reprimanding them. For what? Though they should have had a strong commitment to God, it would appear that they are beginning to befriend the world in an unhealthy manner. It's almost as if their relationship to the things and the people of the world were far greater than the relationship and commitment to God. And in that sense, James was calling out their spiritual adultery. When they should have been committed to God, they were becoming more committed to the things of the world. And just for a moment, we know that Scripture is clear. Just for a moment, let's kind of go back to the hypothetical what if. We know that any time adultery takes place in a relationship, we know that there's hurt and pain. We know that there's a broken heart. We know that there's distrust. We know that there's loneliness. There's loss of intimacy. There's loss of integrity. And separation occurs oftentimes, at least for a period. Is it any different with God? When we as His children say, I love you, God. We claim to be His children, and by that fact we say we've committed to following Him and yet we are more committed to this over here, and this over here, and this over here, than we are to God. And by the very fact that our relationship is not very strong, at least by the very fact that we don't communicate often with Him, it says something completely different than what we say is true in our own lives. See, our actions are not matching our words. And James calls that spiritual adultery. Where's our commitment? Where's our relationship? So I can only imagine that if we claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we claim to know God as our Heavenly Father, and yet we don't talk with Him, how strong is that relationship? In fact, if we begin to love the things of the world more than we do the things of God, what is the difference? Does that not cause pain to God? 
Does that not break the heart of God? Does that not um, cause distrust? Does that not cause loneliness? It does. Because no matter how you look at it, adultery is adultery. Adultery means that there's been a breach of commitment. And God wants us to be committed to Him as His children. It would appear that James is reprimanding them because they're beginning to choose the things of the world more than the things of God. So what's the problem? The problem is this. God is a jealous God. I say, well, how does that make sense? Well, let me ask you a question. Women, are you jealous of your man? Only three of you? Really? (laughs) Women who are married, are you jealous? Of course you are. When he's yours, he's yours. Doesn't it irritate you with some other guys looking at your girl? Guys? Right. Keep your eyes on... Yeah, I love that one TV commercial. Where the guy walks over and he talks to the mannequin. Hey, eyes on your own... uh, uh, That's a mannequin. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because we want our own... It's like we are committed to each other. Don't keep... Eyes off, buddy. Eyes off. Why? Because we're jealous of our spouse. We're jealous when we're in a relationship. And that's only right. And what happens when something breaches that commitment? There's hurt. And God is a jealous God. How do I know that? Well, turn your Bibles just for a moment to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at just a couple passages here real quick. Look at verses 4 and 5. I mean, way back from the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 20, verse 4, it says this. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens or above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children of the Father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to the thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What's he saying here? God said, I don't want you to make any other idols. I'm all you need, and and you're all I want. He says, I don't care. Hey, look at everything around us. Look at the heavens, look at the earth, look at everything that you can see. Don't make anything to replicate it. Don't serve the creation, serve the Creator. He says, I'm a jealous God. And He says, I want you all to Myself. Why? Because that's what people who love each other do. Now, that's not always what takes place in our humanness. But spiritually speaking, God says, I want you to Myself. You know what that says? He loves you so much. You see, I wouldn't care if another man was hitting on my wife if I didn't love my wife. I mean, isn't that true? You wouldn't really care if somebody else was hitting on her if you didn't love her. But because I love her, keep your eyes off her, you're going to get something else. Right? You fight for it. Remember that when Fireproof came out and the theme song of it? Love is a fight, but it's something worth fighting for. I'll fight for that. Because we love each other. And because I love her, I'm jealous for my wife. She may not be beautiful to you, but to me, there ain't no one else. So back off. 
It's worth fighting for because I love her. And I'm jealous for her. You know when someone says they're jealous? It's because they love. When God says He loves loves His people and He wants them dedicated to Himself, He's saying, I love you. And I love you so much, I don't want you bowing down, giving your attention and time to anything else but me. Because I love you. Turn over to uh, Exodus chapter 34. It's over a few chapters to the right. Exodus chapter 34. And look at verse 14. It says, You are never to bow down to another god, because Yahweh, being jealous by nature, is a jealous god. Remember we've talked this kind of just off the path just a little bit? But you know what an idol is? Anything that we give more time, attention, and focus or commitment to, anything that we give our time, attention, focus, and commitment to, has the potential of becoming an idol in our life. I'm not saying all of them are, but they have the potential to be an idol in our life. So I have no idols in my house. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have no statues that you're bowing down to. Maybe you have no artifacts that you're praying to. You may not have a quote-unquote idol. But when things become more important to God or to us than the things of God are to us as His children, that has the potential of being an idol in our life. And that's what God says. If you continue down that path, you are choosing spiritual adultery with that idol or that thing, because you're not fully committed to me. The commitment has been breached. And he says, I'm by nature a jealous God. I love you. I want you to myself. Isaiah, chapter 42, and verse 8 says this, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. He said, I'm alone. I alone am worthy, because I love you. So, there's a decision that has to be made. What do we want, who do we want to be committed or in a, to or a relationship with? So, notice the text once again in James chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. So, he says it's adulteresses. So, he's calling out, he's reprimanding them for what he's seeing. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So, here's the choice. Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Now, you say, well, that doesn't make, really make sense to me. If God's a jealous God, why would he, and I, and I want a friend over here, why, why would I become his enemy? Well, let me ask you a question, men. If someone hits on your wife, are they your best buddy? <laughs> the first time someone hits on my wife, they become my enemy. <laughs> Maybe not physically. I may not go beat the living snot out of them, but I might want to. <laughs> Don't mess. Right? I mean, that's how we feel. Why should God feel any different? Seriously. Why should God want to feel any different? If we claim to be His child, if we claim to have a relationship with Him, why should that be any different to God? If we are His, we're His. Right? Does that make sense? So there's a choice to be made here. Who do we want to be in a committed relationship with. So, he calls them out on a couple of things. The decision to be made. Friendship with the world. In other words, what the world means here is not the physical world. 
It's not even talking about the people in the world, technically, in the Greek language. The world in general here is in reference to the world's values, the world's philosophies. Now, just think about that by itself for a moment. What is it that we live for? What motivates us? Um, to some people, it's their job. I mean, there's nothing else that matters in life. I just love getting up every day and going to my job because my job is awesome. I love the people there. It's just the job is everything. Is it more important than family? Is it more important than my relationship with God? Is it more important than anything else? I mean, for some people, that is. That's their thing. That's the world to them. To other people, it's that vehicle. I mean, you got to have this car. It's got to be just this way. I've got to have it detailed every Saturday, uh, you know, every week. I've got to keep it clean. I've got to wash it three times a week, run it through the car wash, because the car is just that important to me. It's everything to them. To other people, it's building that bank account. Got to get it built up because, you know, in 30 years I'm going to retire hopefully and hopefully, you know, get to that point where I can kind of slow down, get to that point where my house is paid for, the cars are paid for, and I can just kind of maintain until I die and got to get to that point. So I got to, you know, it's everything. That's the world. It's talking about what this world has to offer. It's a mindset. And, by the way, Second Timothy tells us, be not entangled with the affairs of this life. Right? In other words, we're not to be trapped by what this world offers to us. We're not to be lured by the things that this world has to offer. Every once in a while, you kind of dream a little bit. Um, There's this new show on cable. It's kind of interesting. I was watching this a little bit the other night. Epic Log Cabins. You anybody seen that? Yeah, there we go. Epic Log Cabins. I love log cabins. For a couple of years when I was a school teacher, during the three months of summer, for two summers, I built log cabins up in the mountains in Pennsylvania. I loved it. I said if I were ever wealthy, I would build a monster log cabin. I love those things. But these log cabins that were on there were nothing compared to what we built. These things were like 2 and $3 million for a log cabin. But see, they were buying the view. I mean, they were the only one on the side of the mountain. They could see like seven mountain ranges right here. And what is this little cabin in the woods worth? 2.7 million. You know, anyway. Think about it. What lures us? What? Some people, it's just, it's just the next dime, the next nickel, the next dollar, the next, the next achievement, the next position, the next... What is it that we live for? So here's what he's saying here. Put that idea, that context, that philosophy right back into the text here, verse 4. Don't you know that friendship, a relationship with the world, not the people of the world, but the world's values, the world's learnings, philosophies, etc. He said that equals hostility towards God. You say, man, that's harsh. Yeah, it is. Why? Because God's jealous. And if we claim to have a relationship with Him, that should be what's most important. Not the next bigger house. Not the next nicer car. Not the next paycheck to pad the count. What is it that we live for? Well, familiar passage, 1 John, towards the end. You've heard this before. I'm sure you'll hear it again. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle, is not from the Father, 
but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. He's very clear. The bottom line is, where's our love? That's the question that each and every one of us must answer. That's the choice that each and every one of us must make, is who we are going to be in a committed relationship to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? So once again, once we are in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. So now there's made a distinction in our lives. We've chosen to follow God. And that means that there's a choice inevitably with that to turn our back on what this world has to offer to live for what's most important, our relationship with God and commitment to Him. So he said these two don't match. That's why believers should make sure that when they're dating, that they're dating other believers because Christianity with non-Christianity, is, it struggles. So what's he saying here? Look at verse 15. <clears throat> he goes on. What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. I'll be a father to you, and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What's he saying here? A choice has to be made. If we're going to claim to know Christ... In that commitment, there is a turning, our, a turning away from the things that this world has to offer and a turning to the things of God. And the two don't mix. Paul made his choice, and his choice looked like this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Right? Paul says, when I, see, when, I, when I am in this world, I hope people see a picture of Christ. Not me. Because sometimes, as Old Testament says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. Paul said, when people, want to, people look at me, I want them to see a picture of God. That's my choice. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, there's another example of someone who made a not-so-good choice. It said, Demon, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved what? This present world. See, all of us have to make that choice. If we say that we know God, inevitably with that choice, there is a commitment to wholeheartedly follow Him. If by our actions we live for the things of this world, that too will present itself with some other problems. But here's what he says in verse 5 in our text, and we're almost through. Verse 5, he says this, Or do you think it's without reason the Scripture says that the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? So he says, whoever wants or desires to live for the things of this world, to be the world's friend, so to speak, becomes, and the word becomes is an interesting word. It's an intentional action in the Greek language. In other words, by choosing to live for the things of the world, he makes himself, not just becomes, it wasn't passive. This is not a passive word in the, in the Greek language. It's an active word. In other words, it didn't just happen. Well, you know, I did this thing over here and it just kind of got caught up in it and this is where I am today. No, it's a choice. 
Just like we've talked about in Romans chapter 8, uh, 6 and 7 and 8. It is a choice as to how we are going to live. So when he says, whoever becomes a friend of the world, it's not a passive thing. Oh, well, I'm just here. I just kind of find myself here today. It's a choice. And then becomes is also an active word, which means makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, it's not that God is turning his back on them. It's a choice that has a consequence. And if had you not made that choice, you would not suffer this consequence. So these are active words, though they may appear passive. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. They're choices that need to be made. So when you put the context of where we live in this passage... James is calling these people to make a choice. He's reprimanding them, really. He's saying, listen, what I'm seeing is not good. And there's a choice that needs to be made. So, adultery here is spoken of as a spiritual adultery. There's a spiritual breach of commitment. You claim to be a child of God, yet what is being lived out is not that. And so, if you make yourself a friend of the world, you are making yourself an enemy of God. We are forfeiting. Let's think about adultery just for a minute and we'll close. When adultery strikes a home, it's never passive. Somewhere, someone made a choice. I am choosing Maybe there are always factors involved. So-and-so did this, and he responded this way, and she responded this way, and I get that. But ultimately, choices are always made, right? And choices have consequences. And that's what he's saying. In a relationship with God, don't commit adultery, spiritual adultery. Don't breach that commitment that we have with God. Why? He's jealous. Why is he jealous? Because he... Say it. Loves us that much. I don't ever want my wife to commit adultery. Why? Because I love her. And she knows that I love her. She knows that. And because of that relationship we have, we're committed to each other. Even though things may get tough. And they do. I remember someone saying, my wife and I never had a fight in our entire 25 years of marriage. I'm thinking, really? Okay. (laughs) I've had my few, unfortunately. But we're committed. And because we're committed, we love each other. And it just gets gooder and gooder and gooder. I can't wait to see her on Wednesday. I miss her when she's not there. It works that way, too. He misses us when we're not there. If we say that we have a relationship with him, let's cultivate that relationship. And it'll get gooder and gooder. It will. I don't know where you're at. I'm not going to stand up here today as James did and say, you're all adulterers. That's not my place. But I want to paint the picture of what James is saying to the best of my ability. And what he is calling them is to a commitment that is deep and wonderful. And I don't know if you're here today if you know Jesus Christ, but I can say this unequivocally that he loves you. And he cares for you. 
And he's a jealous God that desires to have a relationship with you. I know that. Because God's word is full of it. So if you don't have that relationship, that's where it starts. Do you know Jesus? If you do know Jesus and you claim to have that relationship, do the actions match the words? Or are there some other things vying for our attention that we need to like tune out a little bit and get back to being focused on what he has for us? Let's pray.